Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we just praise you this morning for all the blessings that you give to us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. You've revealed yourself to us through your word. And Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to seek your word to know you. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. And Lord, this morning, I just pray that uh, you will help me to deliver the message that you have this morning for us to hear. Lord, help us to take this message and apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to change uh, through you, through your power, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we are continuing our sermon series um, called Jesus' Mission Continues. This morning we're in Acts chapter 5. Again, uh, the sermon series is Jesus' Mission Continues, a look at disciple-making in the early church. And we want to know what lessons we can learn from the early church to apply to our vision of making disciples, or worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we are in Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through the first part of 21. Uh, and this passage shows us three truths about serving. Three truths about serving, and that is that serving opens the door for the gospel, serving draws a crowd, and serving requires obedience. Let me say that again. This passage shows us three truths about serving. First, that serving opens the door for the gospel, serving draws a crowd, and serving requires obedience. We'll jump right in in uh, verse 12. I'm going to read 12 through 14. It says, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. So this first section, I'm calling it uh, Serving Opens the Door for the Gospel. First thing we see is that many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. I'm going to take a side note real quick. Um, you may notice my slideshow is a little different this morning. Um, throughout the past few weeks, I've noticed I'm getting more and more and more and more slides in the slideshow. And it seems like there's less focus on the Word, on God's Word, on the Bible. And so what I've tried to do is really trim down a lot of those extra slides Focus more on the Word, because it is through God's Word that He's revealed Himself to us. So I'm going to try to keep the Word on the screen a little bit more uh, to, to, re, uh, to emphasize that focus. Um, so we see many signs and wonders. Now Luke uses this phrase a few other times in the book of Acts. We see it in Acts 2.43. He says, Then fear came on everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Again in Acts 6.8, it says, Stephen full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And again, in chapter 8, verse 13, it says, Then Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Now, there are also many other times that Luke records miracles in the book of Acts, but he doesn't use this phrase of many signs and wonders. But I think that the fact that Luke uses this phrase repeatedly is important. And it's also important that he goes back and, and records all these other miracles that are, being, um, that are happening. These miracles, they attest to both Christ's power and the apostles' authority to carry the message of Christ. Now last week, I said that as we look through the Bible, there are a few different uh, seasons 
where we can see miracles focused. And every time that we see these seasons of miracles in the Bible, this is where God is kind of approving the message or the messenger. We see it with Moses. There's a bunch of miracles in Moses' life. And that is God approving Moses and the message that Moses brings. We see it again with a lot of the prophets. The prophets performing miracles or God performing miracles through the prophets. And this is God approving their message. We also see it with Jesus. Jesus performed a lot of miracles as God approving Jesus as his son and approving the message of the, the, the kingdom of God and the gospel. We see it also <clears throat> in the early church throughout the book of Acts. Again, it is attesting to Christ's power and the apostles' authority to bring that message. So these many signs and wonders, not only was it God's approval of the message and the messengers, but it was how, it was how the apostles served. So what miracles were they performing? It doesn't tell us specifically right here, but we can infer as we read on, we can infer that most of them were miracles of healing. They were healing people. And so they were serving their community by meeting a need that the community had. These miracles were how they were serving. The miracles they were performing were meeting the needs of the people around them. And then we see, it says, the, pe the people spoke well of them. So when the church seeks to serve by meeting the needs of those around them, it gets approval from the community. It also gains attention. It protects our reputation. But when the church seeks to be served, our reputation takes a hard hit. People see right through that. You see, my generation, the millennials, the biggest complaint that they have against the church, it's not hypocrisy. The biggest complaint that millennials have about the church is that they're tired of seeing churches trying to build their own kingdom and putting the tag of the kingdom of God on it. They're tired of seeing churches trying to build their empire instead of building the kingdom of God. And so what we need to do as a church is look back at the early church and see how they weren't trying to build their own empire. They were building the kingdom of God. Those, uh, we serve those around us for two main reasons. Two main reasons we serve those around us. First is that Jesus said so, and he demonstrated that for us. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Jesus gave his life because he loved us. He served mankind because he loves us. In the same way, we follow his example by serving others. Now, we're probably not being called to give our life in service for others. We may be, some of us may be, but most of the time the service that we render to our community is going to be much less than giving our life. But we still follow that example of Jesus giving his life in service for us. In Matthew 20, 26 through 28, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we serve others because 
Jesus did and set an example for us. We serve others because, well, Jesus told us to. And through obedience and through loving him, we do that. We serve others. The second reason that we serve people, that we serve our community, that we serve our Jerusalem, is because we love them. So we serve because we love Jesus, and we serve because we love them. We love people. In Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked what the greatest command was, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So when we love others as ourselves, we seek to meet their needs. Let's say that again. When we love others as ourselves, we seek to meet their needs. We serve others because we love them. We serve others because we love them. When we serve out of love, people will feel that, and, they will, and people will feel that love and talk about that love instead of our selfishness and our hypocrisy. Thirdly, we see that believers were added to the Lord. In order for people to become believers, they have to hear the gospel. In order for people to become believers, they have to hear the gospel. Because people all around us recognize that this world that we live in is not perfect. They recognize that our world is broken. And we all know that that's not how it's supposed to be. Because God designed this world to be perfect. God created this world to be a reflection of His character so that we could live in perfect community with Him and with each other and with the rest of creation. But as we look around, we see that it's not that way, and that's because of sin. When we sin by going against God's will, it leads us to a place of brokenness. There are lots of different ways that people try to fix this brokenness, or they try to work their way out of brokenness. And sometimes people try to you know, follow the rules and become religious to find this way out of brokenness. Sometimes people will try to dive into work. Maybe if I earn enough money and buy enough things, then, then it'll fix all this brokenness. Some people try to hide and mask that feeling of brokenness by diving into drugs or alcohol. But that doesn't fix it. All of those <clears throat> are only going to lead to more brokenness. But Jesus came, and he died for our sins. And it is through faith in that sacrifice that we can be saved from this brokenness. When we repent from our sins and believe in his sacrifice, then we can recover and pursue God's design in our life. When it says that believers were added to the Lord, like I said, people cannot become believers until they hear the gospel. When the apostles were serving, it opened the door. It created a relationship where they could share this gospel so that other believers could be added. They were healing the sick. And sickness was a sign of brokenness, but that's not how God intended the world to be. Through this brokenness, the apostles introduced Jesus. The greatest act of service that we can share, or the greatest act of service that we can do in our community, is to share the gospel. The greatest act of service that we can do for someone else is to share the gospel. There is no greater service than that. That is the greatest service that we can do. You know, we care about these people. We care about the brokenness that they are in. And so we introduce them to the gospel. We care about their eternal life. So we introduce them to the gospel. That's the greatest 
service that we can do. But it's not just about their eternal life because Jesus said he wants us to live the abundant life. Now, I don't think that's talking about money and riches, but about hope and peace. When he says he wants us to live the abundant life, that's spiritual abundance. When we look around at our community and we see the brokenness in our community, we see the the spiritual hurt, we see the heartbrokenness, and we see the hunger and the crime. Those are all symbols of brokenness. And those are all not the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. And we can introduce that abundant life through the gospel. When we want to see our community living the abundant life because we love them, we bring the gospel to them. The love of the early church expressed through service opened the door for the gospel to be spoken into the lives of those living in Jerusalem. You've probably heard the saying before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we serve to build that relationship. We serve because we care. And because we care, we can share the gospel. People are willing to listen to the gospel once they know how much we care. We also see in here, it almost sounds like contradictory statements from Luke. It says, no one else dared to join them, but then it also says believers were added to the Lord. So how are people being added if no one was willing to join them? Well, I think what this is referring to here, verses 12 and 13, is referring to the apostles. The apostles were performing the signs and wonders, and nobody dared to join the apostles. But believers were added to the early church because of what the apostles were doing. So this isn't a contradiction. It's just people are recognizing the power that God has given the apostles, and they're not going to try to claim that, okay, well, I'm, a, I'm an apostle too, so I'm going to step up and work with them. But no, they're, they're recognizing that power, and they are accepting the gospel that the, the apostles are teaching and showing through the service. As we keep moving, we pick up in verse 15. It says, As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So as I said, serving draws a crowd. We see the apostles here, and they're performing signs and miracles, and it's drawing a crowd, bringing people in from all over. It says that the crowd carried, people, carried six pe- mm, sick people into the streets. They came looking for a healing. They were looking for the service that the apostles were doing. They were looking for that physical service. They were looking for a healing. They weren't necessarily seeking the gospel. They wanted the service. They wanted the physical healing. They, mu- they misunderstood the message. They misunderstood the service. It says that they brought them out and laid them on cots in the street so that maybe, hopefully, Peter's shadow would fall on them and they could be healed. See, they attributed this power to Peter. It wasn't Peter's power. Peter wasn't the one healing them. God was the one healing them through Peter. The miracles were because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and God's approval of their message. But see, when the church serves our community, when we serve our community, or when the church serves the community wherever it's at, It draws a crowd. 
It draws lots of people. It brings in all sorts of people. Some people will just be looking for that handout. Others will come looking to be served. But see, as disciples, we are called to serve. We're called to serve our neighbors. It doesn't matter what they're looking for. We serve. And through that service, we can bring the gospel. We also know that they were bringing in, they, they had lots of influence. It says from towns surrounding Jerusalem. So they were bringing in people from out of town, bringing them in from miles around. The early churches, the early church's reputation was spreading. But see, this is a precursor to what we see later. If you remember in Acts 1-8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is foreshadowing that spread of the gospel. When people are coming in from outside of Jerusalem, they're coming from other areas where Jesus said that the apostles would go. And I think, personally, I don't know for sure, but I think personally this is when the, the, the early church should have taken that step and said, okay, God, we see that we're starting to have some influence in this area, so let's start spreading. Let's go ahead and, and start spreading into that Samaria or into the rest of Judea. But instead, they stayed in Jerusalem. Like I said, I don't know that for sure. I don't know if that's what God was calling them to do here. But I look at it and I say, well, maybe they should have stepped out here and started to spread. That doesn't happen until later uh, when Paul comes and he starts you know, killing Christians. And then they say, oh, no, we got to run away. And so they scatter. And that's when the gospel starts to spread. You know, I don't know. I don't know if you know, that was what God's plan was or if God's plan was for them to start spreading here. I don't know. But we do know that this is how it worked out. Um, but I think that as we look at us as a church, Victory Baptist Church, when we start to bring in a crowd and we are serving that crowd and we are making disciples and we are growing, and then we start to see that we have an influence in another area, then maybe that's time we start looking for a church plant. We start sending people as a church plant into that area. Now, some of y'all might think, well, that's, that's way in the future. You know, I don't know. It might be. It might be next year. Who knows? But I do know that God is calling us to serve. And then it says they were all healed. And see, it brought the service brought in people from all over looking to be served. It brought in people from other towns looking for a healing. And it says they were all healed. And see, the early church didn't turn away anybody who had a need. They saw a need and they met that need through the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, we serve for two reasons. We serve because Jesus taught that, and he demonstrated that, and he commanded that. But we also serve because we love. We love others. So when we look in our community and we see a need, we as a church do what we can to meet that need. Our part, our part is obedience. We are called to serve. We serve by meeting the needs of those around us. The early church, you know, Peter could have said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not about my power. It's not about my shadow falling on you. 
it's not about physical healing. It's about spiritual healing. And so since you don't get it, you're not going to be healed. They could have said that, but they didn't. They served. They saw the need and they met the need. And because of that, the gospel spread. People were saved. If we have the ability to meet a need around us, we don't reject the needy. We obediently meet that need. I want to review real quick. Um, We started with serving opens the door for the gospel. And the second point was serving draws a crowd. I want to give you an example. Um, A friend of mine up in Toronto, his name is Scott Rourke. Um, He's actually coming back to the States soon, but I talk about Toronto a lot, and it's been on my mind a lot lately because the uh, the mission team left yesterday to go up to Toronto, and this is the first year in in six years that I'm not going. So it's on my mind a lot. But um, every year, um, Rendezvous Church does a mission called Chain RX. Um, And so what this is, in Toronto, bicycling is very popular. You know, as in any major city, traffic is bad. There's a lot of cars, and living expenses are pretty high. And so instead of getting a car, a lot of people will get a bicycle, and they'll use that as their commute back and forth to work. They ride bicycles. So there's a lot of bicycles in the city. And because of that, there's a lot of bicycles that need to be repaired. So Scott, looking at his city, he saw a need. And so he led his church in meeting that need every year, um, it says uh, free bike repair clinic. Every year they offer this bike repair clinic where people can just bring their bikes and they will fix the bikes. And it draws a crowd. This uh, picture's from this year. These are people lined up waiting to have their bikes repaired. It draws a crowd. And it's right there in Young Dundas Square, which is similar to Times Square in New York City. It's a major, major area. You've got skyscrapers all over the place and people all over the place. And so they do this event right there, partially to go to the crowd, but it also draws a crowd. You know, there's uh, Canada and Toronto specifically has gone a long way in uh, decriminalizing marijuana. And I remember Scott telling me um, one of the first years they did this, the guy standing next to them on the curb just reeked of marijuana. But they didn't judge him. They served him. They fixed his bicycle and they shared the gospel. You see, every, every person who comes to have their bike repaired gets their bike repaired. But every person hears the gospel. Every person that comes to have their bike repaired gets their bike repaired and hears the gospel. Not every person accepts salvation, but many people come back year after year. And so this is an opportunity to serve the city. They're, they saw a need, they met a need, and used that as an opportunity to share the gospel. Getting back into our text, let's see what happens to the, the apostles. It says, Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So as you see the title there, it says, Serving Requires Obedience. And we saw, we see the, the high priest and the Sadducees, they're filled with jealousy. 
He's serving our community. As good as that is, and as, as much good as we can do, it's not always going to make everybody happy. There are always some who, for whatever reason, they won't like it. Why? There's lots of different reasons why they might like it. But notice who it is here. It's the high priests and the Sadducees. These are the religious elites. These are the people whose status was threatened by the church and the service that they were doing. When we look in our, our culture nowadays, the religious elites and those people whose status would be threatened by the truth of the gospel, in the media, the religious elites are the atheists, the secular humanists, and their status would be threatened by the gospel. And we expect that. We expect to get some, some pushback from that. But again, we serve in love and we respond in love. Just like we read uh, last time Peter and John were arrested, they responded in love. We respond in love. But unfortunately, sometimes it's not just, you know, other religions or it's not just non-Christians who are threatened by our service. Sometimes established churches will fight against um, other churches or younger churches or smaller churches who are trying to serve the community. It's, um, it's territorialism. I want to read you a few snippets of a, I read a book this week and it's called Jesus Killed My Church and it was by Brian Bolinder. I'm going to read you a few snippets from that. He says, tentatively, I approached my senior pastor to discuss the idea of our current church helping plant locally. The idea caught him off guard as we'd never discussed it before, and he felt strongly called to build a large church in our current location. Over the course of a few weeks, we spent several hours driving around the community, scouting locations, and talking about what it might look like to partner together. Driving down a twisty East Tennessee lane, he said, I believe we could do this, even commit some finances to it, and allow you to continue to serve on our staff and transition, but I would need some assurances. I had been very pleasantly surprised at his willingness to discuss it. Given the opportunity, we would prefer to not have to move, at least out of the general area. So, what assurances, I asked. He struggled for words, but finally said, I would need assurances that you wouldn't build your church too close to mine. When you say too close, I asked, trying to press for specifics, how close is too close? He pulled the car into a small shopping plaza parking lot and pointed at a sign, Beyond that sign, he said. If you plant a church in East Tennessee, it has to be on the other side of that sign, no closer. We are about 15 miles from the home church. If you build it on the other side, I will help as I can. You can't build it on this side. It's a shame that as churches, we struggle with this territorialism. And that, well, they can't serve here because this is my area. You know, Paul said, as long as Jesus is being glorified, let him preach the gospel. That's, that's a paraphrase. He didn't say it exactly like that. But if they're glorifying God, let them do it. I pray as a church that we never get to the point where we are struggling with territorialism. I pray that we never get to the point where we look at another church and say, you can't do that. This is our area. I would love to get to the point where we as a church start to be recognized by larger churches and say, look at that victory over there. Look what they're doing. They're reaching their community. They're growing. 
And then this morning, as I was getting ready, I like to listen to podcasts. And I was listening to uh, J.D. Greer. He's the pastor at Summit up in the Raleigh-Durham area. They actually have a bunch of um, campuses around the Raleigh-Durham area. And he said that his prayer for many, many years was, you know, God, use this church to build your kingdom. God, use this church to have hundreds of thousands of people in the Triangle area saved. And he said that God answered him one morning. It was one of those louder than audible voices. It wasn't audible, but it was so loud he couldn't deny it. He said, God asked him, okay, what if I save hundreds of thousands of people in the Triangle area, but I use the church down the street? He said he knew the right answer, but he had to give a prayer of repentance, and he still struggles with that. So I pray that as a church, that God will save this city, that God will, God will build his kingdom here. I hope that he will use this church to do it, to glorify God. But if he uses another church down the street, glory to God. I want to see the lostness in our community losing ground. I want to see the power of hell losing ground in our community. And I pray that we as a church can be there working on God's side. I hope that we will be there working on God's side. But we have to think, these Pharisees, the high priest, or sorry, the Sadducees and the high priest, why were they filled with jealousy? It's because the early church was drawing more of a crowd than they were. And the early church was taking away their authority. But they were giving the authority, they were giving the praise, and they were giving the glory to God. But what happened? It says he put them in public jail. The early church had real consequences and real punishments for their service. But it didn't stop in the biblical times because we read of the Emperor Nero. The Emperor Nero did so much to try to squash the church. He hated the church. He went so far as to start a, to start a fire in the city, burned down half the city of Rome, and blamed it on the church. And it didn't stop then. It continued throughout church history. Christian persecution continues today. I'll show you a picture of a man. His name is Amin Afshar Naderi. I think I pronounced that right. I'm not sure. He's from Iran. Um, and eight days after receiving a 15-year prison sentence, and this was almost a year after he had already been in prison, he wrote a letter to the Iranian authorities. He says, What have I done against you and our country that you hate me this much? I have learned from the Bible to love my enemies and pray for those who hate me. But on July 3rd, 2017, he was sentenced to 15 years of prison, 10 years for acting against national security by organizing and conducting house churches, and an additional five years for blasphemy. Two other believers got 10-year sentences. In his letter, Amin said during his interrogations he had been spoken to abusively, mocked, and insulted, but that he prays for the health of his interrogators. He also said that his fellow prisoners were forced to sign false statements against him and that officials wrongly reported Amin, um, that officials wrongly reported that Amin had insulted their religious beliefs. During the year he had already spent in prison, Amin spent three months in solitary confinement while on hunger strike. His health deteriorated dangerously, but shortly after receiving the 15-year sentence, he began a new hunger strike. Amin has been in prison since August of last year. And when he was arrested along with five other Christians, they were at a private party. 
He was arrested a previous time on Christmas in 2014. His pastor, Victor Bet Tamaraz, one of the other believers who was sentenced, is, a, uh, is well known among Persian Christians. He's an Assyrian man, but he holds Persian language uh, services in their Pentecostal Assyrian church in Tehran. But before the church was closed by the authorities, they led uh, Christian, uh, Persian-speaking Christian worship services, even though Christian worship in the Persian language is illegal. So we see that persecution continues today. We don't feel it as much here, especially in the Bible Belt, but it still happens. But we look at the apostles, we look at the early church, we look throughout church history when Christians are persecuted. And what do they do? Right here. Tell the people all about this life. This is spreading the gospel. Even with the punishment, an angel came and told them to continue. They weren't given a pass because things got too hard. or Things got too dangerous, so God said, you know what, never mind. Just be quiet for a little while. That's not what happened. They were arrested. They were thrown in jail. And God sent an angel and said, continue to spread the gospel. The apostles were obedient, even when things got hard. And they continued to follow the guidance of the Lord. He says, to tell them all about this life. To tell them about the gospel. When we share our Christian life with others, hopefully they will recognize our hope Hopefully they will recognize our love and they will say, how? How can you live a life with so much hope when there's so much hopelessness around us? And we can say, well, we know that that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it began. See, it began with a perfect creation and perfect relationship with a perfect father. But we have fallen from that perfection because of sin. And we look around us and we see the effects of that sin everywhere. And you ask me, is there any hope? Oh, yes, there is hope. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope in his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. And I have hope because I know that he's coming back one day. And I know that he's going to restore his kingdom to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. And I can live my life now with hope and with love because of my king. When it says to tell them all about this life, it is the Christian life. It is living in response to the gospel. It's knowing that we have hope, knowing what the future will hold, and allowing God to recreate us. Allowing God to recreate us so that our lives reflect his character and his kingdom. So what application can we get from this? What lessons can we learn from this passage to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, is to believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Admit that you are a sinner, that you are not perfect, and that you need a Savior. And have faith in that salvation. Have faith in Jesus for salvation. In Ephesians, this is one of Harriet's favorite quotes, and she's not here this morning. In Ephesians, it tells us that salvation is by faith, not through works. Have faith in that salvation. Have faith in Jesus' sacrifice for salvation. In response to that, we serve our neighbors because we love Jesus and we love them. We serve our neighbors. We capitalize on those relationships that we build through serving to spread the gospel. We meet the needs in our community. 
So homework assignment. I want you to look in your neighborhood. Look around at your neighbors and pray. God, what needs can I meet? What needs can I meet here to serve you? What areas of service do I need to fulfill to build a gospel relationship with my neighbors? Then we continue to make disciples. We make disciples. We make disciples. The main activity in making disciples is having gospel conversations. Be willing to share the gospel. We share the gospel with lost people for salvation, but we share the gospel with believers to help them to grow for sanctification. So continue to share the gospel. Just like Miss Annabelle in the hospital, as believers come and she's sharing the gospel with them, they, have, they find comfort and they find hope. We can never outgrow our need to depend on the gospel. So our application is make disciples. Serve our community so that we can make disciples. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the lessons that you have for us in your word. Father, I pray that you will give us a heart for our community. I pray that you will show us the brokenness in our community. Give us the opportunity to serve them, to glorify you. Lord, I pray that your kingdom will grow in our city. Father, I pray that you will see people saved in our city. And Lord, I pray that you will give us the, the obedience to go and to serve for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.